0: Hey there, welcome to Honor of Kings. This week we're going to be looking at the book of Enoch, chapters 46 through 50. It's going to show us some amazing things about the Messiah himself, how he, was, how he has prophesied to return in the authority of the Father to root out all those who are oppressing believers and his faithful elect ones. It's an exciting chapter because we're going to find Jesus himself during his earthly ministry speaking about himself in terms we only find mentioned in Enoch about the Messiah. Stick with us. It'll be a great episode. Welcome back. It's episode 13 of Honor of Kings. We're still digging into the Book of Enoch, and I'm Sean Griffin here with my co-host.
1: Ken Heidebrecht. Sean, how's it going? Looking good as, as always, Sean.
0: Hey Ken, thanks for joining me again this week. Um, This uh, this particular episode, man, is a. I I just think it it could be really powerful because this will help empower and arm folks with, in my opinion, the necessary tools to combat some of the uh, anti anti missionary rhetoric. You know, people that claim that um, that the Messiah was never. In the scriptures or that he was never brought, you know, foretold before he actually became incarnate. And that's um, people basically they claim that the Messiah wasn't from God as the son of God, but was just another man walking around.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, the book of Enoch is just rife with different um, references to the son of God in different messianic terms. And, you know, it's fascinating because while the Messiah definitely is in the Tanakh all over the Tanakh, it's not as explicit as some of these books that were removed. And so I would just wonder, Sean, that if this isn't one of the reasons why these books were removed because of the explicit um, references to him being the son of God. And even, I think it's, it's the second Book or second Ezra, Sean, where it talks about how the son of God will come and, and come to earth as an incarnate man to die. Yeah, that's a fascinating little thing that, you know, if I were someone that didn't want people believing in the son of God, and if I had to remove something, that would be a book that I would want to remove that that says that he will come to the earth and die.
0: Yeah, so. it's it's I think it's second Esdras, uh, if I can remember, right? Unfortunately, I, I can't off the top of my head right now. But it does. In fact, it even calls him Jesus, right? That's right. It even names him. Um, and that was also a book that was removed. So, you know, the more we study this, Ken, it is it, it seems to be, conf- you know, maybe we've got, um, you know, what do they call it, confirmation bias, but uh, it seems to be confirming our initial hypothesis that some of these books should not have been removed. And they were removed because not just because they disagreed with a a modern theological teaching at the time, but because there was a nefarious intent behind it. People wanted to actually shade, confuse the body of believers and shade um, the clear message so that people would have division, strife, discord, you know, among the brethren and then also be led off into disbelief, basically, because they don't actually, instead of having to, you know, just have it literally told to us, like we see in these apocryphal books, so clearly, they then have to extrapolate from other places where it might seem a little more vague, which causes them to at that point, do I do I believe this pastor saying this over here or this pastor saying this over there? And that not only causes division, but it oh but the guy who hasn't decided if you standing in the backdrop watching this take up take place, he just falls prey to unbelief because he's discouraged because there's no clear cut message. And that's right. where, you know, so many times I speak with people that are atheists, they dwell, they're self-proclaimed atheists. Sometimes I don't really think that the term atheist is even a real thing. Um, <laughs> I want to do a, I want to do a, a Steven Crowder thing, you know, set up a table and be like, atheism isn't a real thing. Change my mind. So, um, but basically I, I just feel like when I'm talking to them about some of these concepts, I, I try to explain to them, look, I'm going to explain the Bible to you, whether you believe it or not is a different story. I want to make sure you know the correct message, that you actually know the story of what you're choosing to not believe or to believe. To me, that's like really, really important for people. And I say this to people all the time uh, that I meet at work and, you know, we get to talking about things and sometimes it leads to religious stuff because they'll ask about my YouTube channel. And so I just I say, look, you know, the, my channel, the whole thing is designed where it's not preachy. I just want people to understand the actual message, the actual actually what's being said to us um, and now whether you believe those are the words of God or not and whether you want to believe that's truth or not, that's between you and God. I just want to make sure you're deciding on the actual proper story right. so that you're not confused, you know because honestly there you know growing up there were so many holes in the story. it did take some blind faith to believe things, you know. Because you're you're you, some of it doesn't make any logical sense at all, uh, especially before you understood the the importance of God's instructions and how they're eternal and the actual creation model itself and how it plays into the story and the narrative. So before that, man, I was just like, you know, it took actual good-hearted, goodwill, blind faith, and that's why many people think, well, they they had emotional experience that draw them drew them into God, but yet they still had all these questions that aren't being answered. And unfortunately, Ken, as you know. There's still a ton of people in the churches today, right now, with that feeling, that feeling of, of disillusionment, but yet they're obligated from you know, the, the, the relationships and the friends that they've made at this church congregation from their initial emotional experience with coming to God, but they're still trying to be edified in their mind with understanding His Word so they can understand the relationship that He's offering them, and they're just not getting these answers. And I would suggest it's because many of the seminaries didn't have these books to reference therefore the, the preachers that they produced who are now teaching these congregations they're they're struggling to make sense of a disjointed message
1: yeah absolutely Sean and that actually kind of reminds me just of myself and my own part of my own testimony about sitting in the pews and and enjoying the relationships and you know the emotional um, environment around me but you know the Nephilim when I came to understand the Nephilim that was kind of the start that was the snowball effect um you know that was a catalyst that got me into comprehending the word of god a little bit better and uh, without that i would probably still be in the same spot if not even worse today so it, it absolutely does take people who can understand the scriptures and teach them properly to help others who want to understand the word of god and live out you know what it means to be in the will of God as a human being on the earth. So I agree with you, man. Yeah, it's,
0: yeah, it's just our passion here, folks. And we thank you for joining us again this week. Cause we just, uh, we hope to bring clarity uh, to the scriptures and this particular book of Enoch used to be in the Canon. So, you know, just as early as 200 years ago, we wouldn't even be doubting it thought it's authenticity. And we would just be already looking at it and trying to make sense of it in light of the rest of the books which is what we're doing today. So thank you for joining us. And man, it's going to be a, a rocking episode. So let's get to it.
1: Let's. And Sean, before we do, I just wanted to say, I, I often wonder what, you know, if Yahweh's day, the day of the Lord doesn't happen anytime soon, I just wonder what the, um, you know, the spiritual landscape is going to look like in like, let's say a hundred years, you know, what books do we have right now in our scriptures of 66? well like which ones could possibly be removed you know what i mean like it just seems like the more more we advance forward the more we lose so
0: well you know we've already seen that just in public discourse and social media haven't we ken yes we have people come along and they're like oh well you know we should just throw paul's letters out altogether well that's because they don't understand the old testament because all they've been taught their whole life is the new testament excuse me that's because they don't understand the old testament um, to understand what paul is even referencing and that's from like a, a Hebrew roots messianic standpoint, you know, when they really go hardcore anti-Paul. But then you've got on the flip side of that, people that <laughs> take Paul's uh, letters and they just make that the entire gospel. And they super, they let his words supersede all the prophets, including Yeshua, including the Messiah himself. That's so right. it's just, it, it's baffling to me. And that's again, because they don't know the full book. They don't know the old Testament to understand what Paul's talking about. And that's, um, and so therefore, if it was up to them, they would be, they would already be tearing things, and in their mind, even though it's still bound in a leather-bound book, they never read them. They never study them. They don't think they apply to them. So mentally, they've already t- torn them out and thrown them away anyway.
1: That's right. And Paul usually is the one to start. Like his writings is kind of their their go-to to discard. And then you start sloughing even more. Right? If Paul yeah. <laughs> can be questioned, then you start questioning the other apostles, and then you start questioning Yeshua himself. Then pretty much you got a you know a messianic character that you need in the yeah. future and now <laughs> out of the mixture of your faith. So this is why Sean and I want to champion, you know, these books we want to look into see what the content says and bring back the old past and understanding. And, and I think, um, there's a lot of value to doing that.
0: Can I even saw one time it's a couple years ago, I ran into a guy on social media that was trying to say that, um, that the only book in the new Testament that's valid um, that's not corrupted. You know, of course, none of these people have an actual standard from which they say, oh, that was corrupted. That You can't listen to that. That's a corrupted text, you know, because you got a lot of anti-missionaries that claim that as well, right? They claim the New Testament as a whole has been corrupted. We can't trust anything in it. And th- then you start lining up Old Testament with New Testament and they just, you know, block you, ignore you, run away. But I actually met a guy who claimed the book of Matthew was the only book in the entire Bible that was uncorrupted and truly the refined and pure word of God. And therefore, that was the only one we could read and trust. And I was just like, right. "Man, where are you getting this stuff? It's yeah. wild! It's I've so heard wild."
1: The Shemtov Matthew is is one that I've heard is like that's the one we need to be going to because they, you know, apparently it was found in Hebrew. But it's wild,
0: brother. It's yeah. wild. So um, this week, guys, we're gonna jump into Enoch 46, and right off the bat, we're just gonna let you know. It's just be prepared to be encouraged. It's about your Messiah. You know, we're excited. There's multiple chapters where we're reading about the Messiah and, uh, and how he fulfills the Father's wishes um, to enact justice, to rid the land of the wicked, and to bring about salvation and healing to the world. So let's get to it, brother. Let's do it. Hey, um, uh, I'll start reading 46 and then uh, we'll just switch off from there. Is that cool? Sounds good to me. All right, chapter 46 of Enoch, guys. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. It's verse one it says, And there I saw one who had a head of days. And his head was white like wool and with him was another being whose countenance had the appearance of a man and his face was full of right graciousness like one of the holy angels and I asked the angel who went with me and showed me all the hidden things concerning that son of man who he was and where and whence he was and why he went with the head of days and he answered and said unto me, this is the son of man who has righteousness with whom dwells righteousness and who reveals all the treasures of that which is hidden because the Lord of Spirits has chosen him, and whose lot has the preeminence before the Lord of Spirits and uprightness forever. And this Son of Man, whom you have seen, shall raise up the kings and mighty from their seats, and the strong from their thrones, and shall loosen the reins of the strong, and break the teeth of the sinners. And he shall put down the kings from their thrones and kingdoms, because they do not extol and praise him, nor humbly acknowledge when the kingdom was bestowed upon him. And he shall put down the countenance of the strong, and shall fill them with shame. And darkness shall be their dwelling, and worms shall be their bed. And they shall have no hope of rising from their beds, because they do not extol the name of the Lord of Spirits. And these are they who judge the stars of heaven, and raise their hands against the Most High, and tread upon the earth, and dwell upon it. And all their deeds manifest unrighteousness, and their power rests upon their riches. And their faith is in the gods which they have made with their hands. And they deny the name of the Lord of Spirits. And they persecute the houses of his congregations and the faithful who hang upon the name of the Lord of Spirits. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, indeed. Yeah, there's some there's some fun stuff, man. Um, I just love how I just want a quick reminder as we read. And I, we probably, I don't know, I may remind people about this often when we read the book of Enoch. Whenever we see this term in the name of the Lord of Spirits or the name of the Lord of Spirits, Like in this uh, last part of verse 7 where it says, and they deny the name of the Lord of Spirits. Um, That term there, folks, that's talking about the authority of the Father. So this concept of in the name or the name of the Lord of Spirits, it's just talking about the authority of the Father. It's not literally talking about his name, like, right, the actual one revealed to Moses. He's just talking about the authority structure, the power of it, and and the authority that's due to it, which is why they denied that. They denied that concept, and they're being rebellious.
1: Yeah, because I would yeah, say exactly. that for sure for these sure things these that he's things referencing here in this here chapter, chapter definitely, know definitely know the son of man, the son of man Yahweh. Yahweh. They know that he exists and it's exactly like you said. It's They don't recognize his authority. They want to usurp it and they don't want to you know, adhere themselves to that. So I definitely yeah. agree with that, Sean.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um,
1: One thing I wanted to point out, Sean, is... Um, there's other versions of Enoch that um, use a different title for, uh, you know, like it says in verse one here. And there I saw one who had a head of days. That's kind of an awkward um, title for Yahweh, whereas uh, another passage, it's, it calls him the Ancient of Days. Yeah. That's more recognizable, I guess I should say. Yeah. And- Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there for people who get uncomfortable when they see things like the Lord of Spirits. Well, you know, that's a name that I haven't heard of, or, you know, (laughs) one who had a head of days. That's, it sounds a little awkward, but really it's, it's the ancient of days and it is another, um, other versions of, of this book. So, but, um, with that, it sounds like to me, Sean, Daniel chapter seven, it sounds like Pretty much verbatim, some of the stuff that we just read in this chapter. And I'm just gonna go over to that real quick. And for you guys um who are familiar with Daniel 7, um, Daniel's in Babylon, um, and he's having a dream, and it's at night, and he's on his bed dreaming, and he's having this vision. And um, it's basically the four beasts that come out of the earth, which is you know referenced in Revelation as well, and um In verse nine here, it says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. And um, then just continue on. It says, then I kept looking, Because of the sound of the boastful words, which the horn was speaking, I kept looking till the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And then we have the Son of Man, which I think is the only time we see this, Sean, in the Tanakh anywhere, um, where this title for the Messiah is referenced as the Son of Man, where it says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So that's those two verses there in Daniel 7, Sean, really line up with what we just read in in uh, chapter 46 of Enoch, wouldn't you say?
0: yeah absolutely was that verses 13 and 14 or also uh, was it 9 and also 13 and
1: 14 yeah 9 pretty much up to verse 14 there where it covers the ancient of days and it, yeah. and it goes through his descriptions which is the same descriptions that we see in verse 1 with the head of white wool and you know with yeah. him with the Romans. yeah
0: yeah it's like almost verbatim you're right it's it's the same description yeah and that's um, it's so, just beautiful and of course we probably should remind people again the Lord of spirits is not is not a strange term for the father because it's just, he is literally the Lord over all the spiritual beings um, because they are spiritual in their nature. Like we're we're made from the earth. That's why Paul calls us earthy beings, but things made from the spirit of God, from water and spirit that live above in the firmament or, you know, within the kingdom of God, they're called spiritual nature, right? So that's why we at, at the resurrection, we don't have an earthy nature anymore. We are, we are given freely a spiritual nature, which is considered the righteousness of God, so it's uh, it's very interesting. That's right. Just so people don't get confused, <laughs> but yeah. it's definitely showing a delineation between the Lord of Spirits, the Head of Days, which would be the Father, and then this Son of Man character, the Ancient of Days, and the reason why, in my opinion, uh, Ken, they would translate it either Ancient or Days of Head of Days, either one is because it's yes, as we agree, it's it's mentioning the same character, but it's just simply um, the 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 Head of Days. Uh, title is is an authority title because in you know biblical understanding and biblical thought the whole concept was it's always top-down authority so this is why um, we see in Colossians where it talks about how yeah Yeshua was the firstborn of all creation and then if you keep reading and it says it's so that he can be first in all things that's why it then lists off other categories he's the first in as well right, that's right. Um, and this is why, in First Corinthians 20, uh, 15, verses 23 and 24, once the Messiah's agency is finished, he then hands his authority back over to the Father. It says, therefore, in verse 24, so that God can be God in all. And because he is literally the the authority, who he he gave his authority to his son, who then became incarnate. And so, therefore, at some point, the son has given that authority back to him because he's still, you know, they're still, they're still both going to reign, don't get me wrong, but it's just basically the son is always acknowledging that the father is the head, just like head of head of household kind of concept if you're doing your taxes. You know, that's why they ask that question. They want to know who's the head, what's going on here. And so as far of the household of God, that's why it's referring him as the head of days because he was around before anything else was. Therefore, he is ancient of days slash head of days.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the reason why I, I brought that up is just because I know some people kind of get a little uncomfortable when when some of these names for you know it, important individuals like our creator and his son aren't really recognized so i just yeah. wanted to throw that in there that it's there there are other versions that say that it's the ancient of days just so people can feel better because they're familiar with that term but i agree 100 with what you just said
0: yeah uh, now there is a little place here in, in verse four that i want to point out because even though i read it um, it has little notations from the actual translator that shows that this was an actual corruption in the text. And that's why he just inserted or did the best he could to make make sense of this part where the text was hard to read because maybe it was uh, somehow missing or fragmented. But in verse four, it says, And the Son of Man whom you have seen shall raise up the kings and the mighty from their seats and from the strong from their thrones. So this concept, raise up the kings and the mighty. Many times we see that in Scripture, we think it's referring to being elevated in authority, but, but due to good circumstances. Um, and this is where the translator, even in the in the, the end of this verse, or the end that I read there, that last phrase that says, and the strong from their thrones, that's actually got brackets around it in the translations, and that's ex, uh, interpolation. But it's basically, he's just adding that in there, trying to make sense of what he just read. From, from the translator's standpoint. Yeah. So even without it, and we would read it without those things, it would say, And this Son of Man whom you have seen shall blank the kings and the mighty from their seats. Well, we know that on the day of the Lord, from a plethora, hundreds of other passages in all the prophetic books in the canon of 66, and even also in the book of Enoch in chapter 62, 63, and even I think we're going to read in chapter 48 here in a few minutes, um, what he does to these kings, right? So this is, you remember in Revelation 16, the, the three demon, demonic spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet, and they go out to all the world to gather the kings of the earth and their armies for battle and to, into the place of Armageddon. So he's going to actually, and all those kings, give their authority to the beast for one hour while they're fighting the Messiah at his return. And they're all being dealt with. And that's what this is referring to, is he will take the kings and mighty from their seats. Because there's not going to be any more, you know, there's not going to be any more kings when the King of Kings shows up. That's you know what right. I mean? He's he, uh, he gets rid of all the lesser authority structures that are that are teaching unrighteousness and working, working wickedness on the earth, right and destruction. Um, so I just want to make people aware of that uh, when it talks about raise up the kings and the mighty, it's meaning it in a bad way. It's not meaning like a, at least that's just what's been kind of inserted in the text from the translator. But the context of this we actually get in other places, both in Enoch and then the canon.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we, we have this a couple of times, actually, in this um, chapter where they, they do kind of, you know, show those symbols in other places, too. We can probably address that as we go along. But, um, Sean, one thing that, uh, that was a good point, really good point. One thing that I wanted to bring up, which is kind of an adjunct uh, to what we're talking about here is in Revelation 1, where John um essentially see someone who has the same description as the ancient of days it says in verse 14 of revelation 1 or sorry we'll go to 13 in the middle of the lampstands i saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash his head and his hair were white like white wool like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze and when it has been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters and so you know, when we read these descriptions, Sean, or at least I have back in the days when I used to believe in, you know, the Trinitarian um, perspective that is commonly taught in, in Christianity, is that, well, this is referring to, obviously, the father and, and the son, they're one and the same. They're described exactly the same thing. And then, you know, down in, in uh, Revelation 1, um, we get the context right at the bottom here. Where is it? Yeah. Um, Verse 17, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So, Yahweh, the Father, doesn't die. So, we we know that the context here is, this is the Son of Man, this is Yeshua, but it's strange because it's describing him in the same way that, you know, the Ancient of Days is described with the white hair, the woolly hair, and and the eyes and the water, Um, his voice sounded like rushing water. And so, I just wanted to, um, for people to kind of think about what well, at least what I've studied is that when you're a resurrected immortal and you're given that status that Shu was given at, at his, um, resurrection, as well as the angels, we even see this with angels being described in like manner. This is a characteristic and appearance that you get as an immortal person. So, when Jesus was resurrected, he was able to walk around in flesh in a flesh-like manner as a man, and he was recognizable. Sometimes he wasn't recognizable. And Sean and I have discussed this in previous episodes where, you know, what is it like to have a body that's resurrected? That's an immortal. Well, this is one of the characteristics is that angels appeared before men looking like men, and they were unrecognizable. They looked exactly like a man. But then in other passages, we see some of these angels that looked like The ancient of days right with the the same description so I'm just trying to I guess what I'm trying to say here Sean is that there's this um understanding that appearances in an immortal body are likened to that of the ancient of days that doesn't mean that these people that look and sound like the ancient of days are the ancient of days that's all I wanted to say and you're, you're on mute there again but but Um, Yeah, you're
0: right. You're right. That's why I was, you know, and then earlier, remember, I said that um, this concept of the difference between an earthy body and a spiritual body. And so it seems like there's some characteristics that are possible within this when you have a spiritual body. And one of those is being able to exude light to some degree. Um, And that's uh, this is also why the enemy itself, Satan, who is a spiritual being, is said he can even come deceiving as an angel of light. That's right. So, you know, he can, you know, some, it's like having uh, the type of body that has mastery over the creation to a better degree than our earthy body. And they can somehow do something with light to uh, make their face shine and and uh, make their appearance be brilliant, you know? And so, yeah, you're exactly right, brother. That's why it's so important that we're always looking at the context because as you just pointed out, people can, you know, the Trinitarian argument we'll try to claim look it's the same person It's the same description but you're like well we see that of all these spiritual beings that's i mean the the angels themselves are called ministers of fire
1: yeah that's right so i just think that there's an untapped um <laughs> uh, wealth of descriptions and characteristics surrounding what it means to be an immortal that i think we need it would it would do us well to understand what that means so that we're not confused and you know, making doctrines out of things that shouldn't be made of. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, even, even to add to your point about, you know, even though they're this, they're described similarly, um, as you said, the context there in 17 said, you know, Jesus himself saying, I was a dead man, you know, behold, behold, now I'm alive. Well, if we go for further context in the book of Revelation and go into chapter five and we see in verse six, um, it says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. I mean, seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So we that's got right. two characters interacting. Yes, you, you know, do. we got yeah. a guy sitting on the throne. That's the head of days. That's the father. And we got the son of man, who's the lamb that was slain, prophesied coming up to him. He the only one worthy to take the scroll and open it. And that's, you know, these two characters interacting. That's not the fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, which is what we get from the book of Enoch. It, it, it clearly introduces... The son was existent before time again. We're actually going to read about that in chapter 48.
1: Yeah, that's right. Before we get on there, Sean, I just wanted to make a quick shout out to the New Testament where we see um, this title, son of man, you know, throughout all the gospels as well as in Acts and, and Revelation. But, um, you know, verses like Matthew 16, 13, where it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, this Son of Man concept, Sean, like we've just been talking about, the only real reference that I've seen in the Tanakh is in Daniel chapter 7, which I just read. And Daniel 7 seems to be pulling from the same type of material in this chapter. So I'm just wondering, you know, for Yeshua to ask such a question, they had to have somewhat of a familiarity with the Son of Man, the title, right? And yeah, so- absolutely. <laughs> and
0: you said that, that was in Mark Matthew 13, 14?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're absolutely right, man. They, they wouldn't even be asking who's the son of man character if if they didn't understand or if they hadn't already heard that term and and to be curious about what it was,
1: right? You know, and, and I just find it very up on the spot. Yeah, and I just find it curious that, like I said, Daniel seven is is having the exact same vision that Enoch is having in this chapter, where we see the son of man introduced for the first time with that title, with the exact same descriptions that we see in both Daniel seven and. Enoch 46. So something to think about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that would give us what that would give us the testimony of two witnesses, Enoch and Daniel. That's right. You know, which is, which is important to me uh, real quick. I wanted to make note of the verse at the end of this chapter where it says uh, verse seven. And um, yeah, I believe it starts in seven and it says, and these are they who judge the stars of heaven. Right? We're talking about the Kings that the Messiah is disposing, uh, deposing, excuse me. And he says, and these are they who judge the stars of heaven. They raise their hands against the most high. They tread upon the earth and dwell upon it. Um, And all their deeds manifest unrighteousness and their powers rest upon their riches. Their faith is in their gods, which they have made with their hands. They deny the name of the Lord of spirits. Which says their faith is in their riches. We actually see that paralleled in Zephaniah. So in Zephaniah, um, I love the book of Zephaniah, a little minor prophets book, but it's also got lots of day of the Lord descriptions in it. And in chapter one, starting verse 17 it talks about it says I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against Yahweh their blood and will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth that's awesome yeah
1: yeah. good good spot there yeah
0: that works perfectly it's basically the the you know, these people and this is kind of what we joke about, right, that the elite of the world, the super wealthy of the world are the ones that are in the satanic cabal that are trying to control the world and literally the ones that are combining their armies to try to fight him at his return. So, you know, and this is why, um, you know, it's they they set up these systems within our within our governments uh, to impoverish the average person and not let them rise to financial power. If possible, as much as they can, because they want to control everything about the narrative to keep people away from, you know, spreading truth and righteousness as much as they can. You know, obviously the father has his own marketing strategy to combat that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he has his own means to overcome that. But at least that's what we see when you take a a, like a bird's eye view of history and uh, and, you know, um, international politics and things. You start to see it's the wealthy who rule the world. You know, and their their wealth will not be able to save them when he returns. Yeah, they're they're, you know, you can't write a check and be like, oh, can you please not? I've yeah, I killed all your people and martyred and persecuted your your believers and your family, your children. But can you please spare me and have mercy on me, please? You know, he's like, no, 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 (laughs) no.
1: So I I was just going to say I cannot wait for kingdom economics to be uh, inaugurated on on that day because it's it's going to be just so perfect.
0: That's true, brother. It will be. This is going to be a great time.
1: Yeah. All right, buddy. Did you wanna, do you want me to move on to the next chapter? Or is there anything else yeah, you want to expound upon? Yeah, we can uh, go to 47. Yeah, let's do that. All right, chapter 47. And in those days shall have ascended the prayer of the righteous and the blood of the righteous from the earth before the Lord of Spirits. In those days, the holy ones who dwell above in the heavens shall unite with one voice and supplicate and praise Sorry, and pray and praise and give thanks and bless the name of the Lord of Spirits on behalf of the blood of the righteous, which has been shed and that the prayer of the righteous may not be in vain before the Lord of Spirits. That judgment may be done unto them and that they may not have to suffer forever. In those days, I saw the head of days when he seated himself upon the throne of his glory and the books of the living were open before him and all his host, which is in heaven above and his counselors stood before him. And the hearts of the holy were filled with joy because the number of the righteous had been offered and the prayer of the righteous had been heard and the blood of the righteous had been required before the Lord of spirits. Sean, this is such a cool chapter. There's so many different references that we can go to here. Yeah, this
0: is definitely a great, a great uh, chapter here. It's just so powerful. And it gives us a lot of insight into the
1: book of Revelation itself. Yeah, I'm seeing Revelation 6, 9 to 11 here with this one of these particular passages.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. You want to read it or do you want yeah. me it to? Yeah, I can read that there.
1: And it says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So I mean, that, so basically,
0: me, what you just read in those verses in Revelation six, we're reading the the actual uh, the same thing, in my opinion, um, but just great greatly expounded upon in, in Enoch forty seven here.
1: Yeah, because absolutely. it is the
0: prayer of the righteous that ascends, you know, from the blood of the righteous um, who supplicate and praise with one voice, and uh, and on behalf of their shed blood, you know that um, that. Yeah. Judgment may happen, and that's why they're asking for vengeance. In Revelation six, these are the souls that were slain, waiting in Sheol, waiting for the resurrection, waiting for the for the day of the Lord when they're resurrected. And also, they know um, that it's also the day when He actually exacts vengeance um, on these, you know, these characters, these entities that have persecuted them and killed them. You know, so it's like um, <clears throat> that's just a wonderful, wonderful fulfillment. And what's interesting though, is that their number has been offered. You see that in verse four of Enoch
1: 47.4. Yeah. Yeah. It goes perfectly with what we just read in uh, revelation six there, where it says in their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been would be completed also. So there's a number.
0: There's a number. And that, and that angel is that's telling them that gives them their white robes. is like, well, Hey, just just be patient a little while longer. Cause the number has not been filled yet. Why? Because they already determined that number back in Enoch 47 while we're reading right here.
1: And I think this corresponds with what we were talking about in um, a couple episodes prior to how Yahweh, when he created the heavens and the earth and all the spirits, he he made, you know, a set number of angels. He made a set number of stars and he had a set number of humans that he wanted to be, you know, essentially made into sons of God at the resurrection. And so, that number hasn't been fulfilled yet. And it will be once we, you know, once we approach, I would say the end of the millennial range, Sean, once the full resurrection takes place, the full entire harvest. But, um, yeah, so there's a number, there's a number, but obviously before the first resurrection, but then there's, you know, like we've yeah. discussed before, there's another second resurrection for those of, of the survivors of the day of the Lord. But Sean, yeah. this is, this reminds me also of, um, stuff we've covered in, in, you know, our episode on Sheol. um, And even back to uh, chapter 9 of of First Enoch where it talks about like in the days, the pre-flood days, all the the chaos and lawlessness and blood being spilt on the earth and, you know, the souls crying out and petitioning to Yahweh even back then. Um, So we have this concept, obviously, of these souls crying out and and wanting to be avenged of their blood, right? And we see that with Genesis 4.10, Abel's blood crying from the ground. And um, yeah, it's a consistent pattern that we see and it makes a whole lot of sense to me
0: yeah it's uh, it's absolutely because we know that the <clears throat> the departed uh soul goes to Sheol. we talked about that like you said and that's um clearly according to revelation 6 and um they and Enoch enoch chapter 22 and also enoch 47 here um they're not the, while they are resting and sometimes that's referred to as sleep in the english they're not just unconscious asleep like they're resting in the sense that they're in a place of rest, uh, away from the persecution of this world and the godlessness of sinners, um, and they are they're in hopeful expectation of their resurrection to eternal life. But whatever it is, they're not just straight unconscious like we would view sleeping in a bed. That's so, right. I mean, that's just because clearly they're they're asking, hey, you know, Messiah, when are you going to do this? When are you going to avenge our blood? Come on now. And he's like, be patient, rest a little longer, just be patient. And, uh, and here's your, here's your resurrection robes. It's almost about to happen, you know? So it's just such a great little moment. Pacifying. Him.
1: There must be a lot of souls there that just never knew how to, how to sleep while they were in the flesh. They didn't like to sleep. They wanted to keep their time busy and go on. You know what I mean?
0: I think it, I, I, I agree. I agree with you saying. Um, I would also jokingly say that it's probably the newbies, so, you know, like the Revelation 6 passage where it says, uh, and to the rest of the number of, of those who must be killed um, as you were killed, right? So, there, and then we see in Revelation 20 that many of them were beheaded, uh, which I think this is what our Revelation 13 8 moment is, where it says the authority was given to the beast that he may overcome the saints. And he does. And therefore, there's great persecution um, amongst the body. And I know that's not a popular topic that people want to hear about, they would rather hear about a pre tribulation rapture or a second Exodus you know, but unfortunately it's greatly prophesied that there's mass persecution upon the body of believers, many of which results in beheadings. And I think it's possible that it's the newbie, it's those who in that 42 month reign of Apollyon have been freshly beheaded and their, their newbie is in Sheol. Right. And, uh, they're, they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're the rookies, the amateurs. And they're like, they're, you know, all the other guys are like, Hey, we're almost there. Uh, there's only, you know, I don't know who knows 13 months left of this 42 months and, and Messiah is going to do his thing. And these newbies are like, when's this going to happen? What's going on? You know, like they're just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just playfully um, trying to, trying to make uh, some humor into a very dire situation. But yeah. the, the hope of it is that they will be resurrected. And that's the best part, which is why Jesus tries to encourage us with this concept that we should not fear the first death of the body but that sure. we should fear judgment from God, wherein our soul would be extinguished in the lake of fire. And he, he talks about this in Matthew ten twenty-eight. you know, and he's like, don't fear the people that can just kill your body because, you know, then you could be resurrected again by the father at the first resurrection or the second, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, he just says, fear, fear God who can kill both your body and soul. If you're thrown in the lake of fire, because you did, you rejected his authority in his name. So, yeah.
1: and yeah, for sure. And this, this whole concept debunks, in my opinion, what you know some i've heard some christian pastors talk about well when we die everyone kind of goes to heaven at the exact same time doesn't matter if you're you know because we're outside you know eternity's outside time and all this other stuff right they're not keeping in context the creation model here but uh in my opinion we i mean abel's still there he was the first one to inhabit the place in sheol and he's still there and he's waiting for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for his day as well and and i don't know what it's like in that compartment in terms of time, if it's exactly the same as, you know, we experience here in the land of the living. But um, yeah, I would say that you definitely know that there's a, there's a time to be waited for in terms of what the day of Lord happens and when, when your blood's avenged. So,
0: and this, you're exactly right, Ken, this is actually why the writer of Hebrews um, in chapter 11 of Hebrews says this exact same thing um, because we know all these souls are waiting in Sheol. And then, but, but the reason why they're all waiting Uh, For the first resurrection event is because that was the whole point is that, you know, you would be we would all together as a family be raised at this first resurrection event, which is why Revelation 20 says blessed are those who partake in the first resurrection because you get to reign with Christ for a thousand years. But in verse 39 and 40 of Hebrews 11, it says, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not have been made perfect. So the concept of being made perfect is being resurrected into glory, right? That you, uh, you have a perfect heart and perfect spiritual body. You never be corrupted again. And so that's what it's referring to here is just that. And that's why that, you know, all previous 38 verses of the chapter 11 of Hebrews is talking about all the patriarchs, you know what I mean? And men of faith, we call it generically called the the hall of faith. You know what I mean? All these, uh, these guys being, uh, praised for their, their accolades, you know, for their faith of actions of faith that they did in their lifetime as recorded in the scriptures. So that's why it's saying all these that we were just talking about, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So that's why we're all waiting for the promised land to come. And as it's coming down, we're, you know, we're resurrected to it. Um, and that's kind of the point of the day of the Lord.
1: Yeah, that's right, man. Amen. That's so cool. Sean, yeah. in verse three of, of this chapter here in Enoch, um, where it says, In those days I saw the head of days when he seated himself upon the throne of his glory, and the books of the living were opened before him that reminds me of revelation 20 verse 11 uh onward right. right where it says and then i saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them and i saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds and then it says And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and the death and hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged and every one of them according to their deeds then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So these are the books, in my opinion, as to uh, verse what verse three is talking about here in Enoch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely has um, he definitely has the books, <laughs> um, uh, because in my opinion, like this, there's rumor as we with the fuller context, right? That this is the uh, the moment where the books are opened, meaning um, the day of the Lord concept, as we're talking about, these people that are waiting to be vindicated and resurrected, sure. um, the prayer of the righteous. Okay, this moment we just read in Revelation 6. Oh, sorry, this Sean, is why I love...
1: I was going to say, sorry, um, before you go on, I just wanted to make note that I don't think that this is talking about the day of the Lord exactly. I just think this is the same books because... In Revelation 20, it's talking about the great white right. throne judgment, which is at the end of the millennial reign, whereas this context in Enoch here is, I think, on the day of the Lord. So,
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I was just going to differentiate for the folks, is that there's the, there's two different judgments, so the books will be open twice.
1: Yeah, right. Sorry, I just wanted to <laughs> Now you're right. There. I wasn't sure if you were going there or not. Yeah, you're right.
0: And that's why it even says in um, Exodus, uh, oh, I think it's Exodus 32, uh, 32, chapter 32, verse 32, uh, Moses is, is pleading after the golden calf incident. Um, and he's pleading with the father not to destroy all of them. And he's like, if you will, you know, uh, uh, forgive their sin, but blot me out of your book. He's trying to actually offer himself as an exchange. You know, he's like, look, just if, you know, cause he's the priest over all of them. He's one of the, high, he's not Aaron, the high priest, but he's still a Levite and he's uh, considered like a Melchizedek style priest cause he's their King as well. So, uh, he's trying to mediate before them, but the father doesn't accept this this deal that Moses offers. But in in him trying to offer the deal, he actually says, if you would blot me out of your book, you know, but just spare them. Um so yeah, even Moses was aware of this book. Yeah, that's crazy. You see what I'm yeah. And that's and that's just uh more evidenced in my opinion that they clearly understood the book of Enoch. Yeah, for if sure. If not had already
1: read it. Yeah. Um that's in Thirty-two. thirty two, thirty two. That's crazy. There was another thing I wanted to point out before we move on, unless you had something else to say here. And that was, um, I just kind of wanted your opinion. This is kind of where I'm standing on it, but I would like to hear what you have to say. In verse, the same verse that I was talking about earlier, verse three here, the last sentence, and all his host, which is in heaven above, and his counselors stood before him. Now, this word counselors here, in my opinion, this is talking about Revelation 4, the 24 elders that surround his throne. I'm just thinking. I want. I want to know if you kind of see that. Which verse
0: are you? I'm. I'm sorry. Which verse are you in again?
1: Verse three, the last. The last verse of verse
0: three. Okay. So switches in above in heaven and his counselors. Oh yeah yeah. Um, so yes, to me that's. I mean, those the elders, right? Yeah. Which Same is what right? uh, Revelation 20 talks about him having glory before his elders.
1: Yeah, and then the. Uh, Yeah, the twenty-four elders who sit around his throne there.
0: Yeah. That would to me that's that would be the one. Because clearly the father doesn't need actual counsel, but to me, this is him following his own law, which is he he's he's uh not just doing anything, um he, he could do something autonomously, he could clearly do whatever he wants, but he even subjects himself to counsel for, in my opinion, just for the accountability of it all so that people can say, yes, that is good. Let's do this. Um, basically, it's him being a good ruler. Yeah. In my opinion, it's not he's not being a tyrant or a dictator. He's being a good ruler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Remember the the passage in um, Genesis, I think it's uh, 18, where he's doing that little moment with Abraham. And uh, he's he's the two angels go down the hill to Sodom and Gomorrah to about to do their their thing there and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, and then uh, the exchange that happens between the angel that's left standing next to Abram and then Abraham is, and he says shall shall we tell him what we're gonna do, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. he he actually tells Abraham he didn't have to tell Abraham anything, he didn't have to ask, he didn't have to give Abraham a chance to to bargain for the soul of of Lot and his family. He didn't have to say anything to him, yeah. you know, but the father is always trying to tell us what he wants to do. Even so much so that at the first line of a message going out, he's got his own counselors around him. People that would hear his words to, to, uh, to affirm, you know, you're totally and true and righteous. It's always going to be, that's kind of the, you know, it's, but the point is this is a layer of extra thoroughness because it's a part of his law, right? That the king yeah. should have many counselors. Yeah. So him, this is him following his own law.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's it's fascinating. We heard different theories about, you know, who are these twenty four elders? Could they be, you know, the twelve apostles and the twelve, you know, um sons of Jacob somehow in their glorified bodies. And no, I don't see that at all. I see them as, as the they're way they're not the elders. <laughs> no. Yeah, they're
0: they're definitely not the elders. Um, because in my opinion, they're not only are they still waiting for the resurrection, so that's not, you know, but it's yeah. just
1: yeah, and in my opinion, uh, other books, I think in 2nd Baruch, it talks about how some of those, you know, um, people that are in the Hall of Faith um, are going to be raised as kings. They're going to be given king status. They're going to have amazing status for sure at the resurrection. But um, where there are the 24 elders that are around his throne, I don't see that. Yeah. But Anyway. <laughs> You're right.
0: Cool, what man. I, I didn't have anything else for this particular chapter.
1: Yeah, cool. We can go to the next one if you want to read it.
0: Yeah. So here in uh, Enoch 48, verse 1, it says, In that place I saw the fountain of righteousness, which was inexhaustible, and around it were many fountains of wisdom. And all the thirsty drank of them and were filled with wisdom. And their dwellings were with the righteous and the holy and elect. And at that hour the Son of Man was named in the presence of the Lord of Spirits, and he is named before the head of days. Yea, before the sun and the signs were created, before the stars of the heaven were made, his name was named before the Lord of Spirits. He shall be a staff to the righteous, whereon to stay themselves, and not fall. He shall be the light of the Gentiles, and the hope of those who are troubled of heart. All who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship before him, and will praise and bless and celebrate with song the Lord of Spirits. And for this reason hath he been chosen and hidden before him, before the creation of the world, and forevermore. And the wisdom of the Lord of Spirits has revealed him to the holy and righteous, for he has preserved the lot of the righteous, because they have hated and despised this world of unrighteousness and have hated all its works and the ways and excuse me, and have hated all its works and ways in the name of the Lord of Spirits, for in his name they are saved, and according to his good pleasure has it been in regard to their life. In these days, downcast in countenance shall the kings of the earth have become, and the strong who possess the land because of the works of their hands. For on the day of their anguish and affliction they shall not abide to save themselves, and I will give them over to the hands of mine elect, as straw in the fire, so they shall be burned before the face of the holy, as lead in the water shall they sink before the face of the righteous and no trace of them shall be any more found. And on that day of their affliction, there shall be rest on the earth and before them they shall fall and not rise again. And there shall be no one to take them with his hands and raise them for they have denied the Lord of spirits and his anointed the name of the Lord of spirits be blessed.
1: That's a power pack chapter, Sean.
0: Yeah, it really is. There's so much, there's so much going on in here. Um, I just, I mean, clearly there's, I just wondering what these fountains are. I mean, it's it's the fountains in his house. I mean, are these the fountains that lead that are, are these fountains springing up because of the river of life that comes out from underneath the throne?
1: Yeah. I guess when I first read this, that's kind of what my mind jumped to is revelation 22. Um, First couple verses of that as well as Ezekiel 47. Um, Yeah. I think that's what it is.
0: It's just the, let me see here. Um,
1: filled with wisdom. I mean, it's very characteristic of you know the water of life,
0: the rivers of life. Yeah, yeah. This uh, Revelation 22 verse one. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was a tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So yeah, it's it could be the fountains of wisdom that we're that we're looking at here. Yeah. But either way, the thirsty drank of them and were filled with wisdom. <laughs> right. And their dwellings were with the righteous and the holy and the elect. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think that there's a, a fun difference that we should probably note between verses two and three. Because it says at one point, at that hour, the Son of Man was named in the presence of the Lord of Spirits and his name before the head of days. And to me, it seems to be connected to verse one. But then verse three kind of backs up and says, Yay. Before the sun and signs were created, so basically they're saying like this guy that was named uh, uh, as at that son of man, who's named in the presence of the Lord of spirits, is so. To me, verse one, if I could just state it real quickly, verse one, this is the um, this is a millennial reign concept. So we've got the resurrected, the holy elect, and the righteous are in the city. Those the survivors of the day of the Lord who come to the city can actually get water. As Isaiah 55 says, come freely and buy, you know, food and milk and water without cost. Uh, Revelation 22 even says, come, you know, uh, get the water of life, right? So this water is going to flow from the garden, from the new Jerusalem out to the whole world to to replenish the earth, um, as the prophets talk about. And that's this moment where those who are thirsty can drink of it, right? Right. So we're going to be inside the city. We're not going to be thirsty, in my opinion, to that, to like, I just don't think it's talking about us personally. And that's why it says "and at the hour. So once all the people stream like Isaiah 61 talks about all the, the nations stream to the new Jerusalem after the day of the Lord, because they've come there for provisions uh, because the, the call's gone out. Hey, no, this, this amazing city that you can see in the distance, that's 1500 miles tall, that's shining like a light bulb. Um, by the way, that that thing that just came down through the firmament, oh yeah, by the way, you don't live on a ball. That thing that just came down through the firmament that you can see from 800 miles away, we're all going over there because they got food and water for free. You know what I mean? And um, it's literally the creator come down to earth with his Messiah to reign. And he, at this point, just so people aren't confused, names that son of man to tell them all, look, here is my king, Psalm 2, right? That he sits on his throne of glory. Here is my king. He's the one who's going to be ruling over you. I am God. I'm the creator. But here's my son who is my king who who earned his spot to do this for you. And that's why it's taught. But then it backs up to explain, yay, this was the same guy that even before the sun and signs were created, before the stars of heaven were made, he was named before the Lord of Spirits. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the way it reads to me.
1: Yeah, that makes the most contextual sense for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, then, of course, it's basically just like a, a little parenthetical phrase. Um, excuse me. Verse three would be like a parenthetical phrase um, in the sequence of events. And then verse four jumps right back to explaining who this guy is in, in relationship to, you know, the Gentiles, which are the ones that stream to the city. Right. He should be a staff to the righteous whereon on to stay themselves and not fall. He should be the light to the Gentiles, the hope of those who are troubled of heart. And actually, uh, Ken, I did a whole morning cup of context video on this, this uh, when the Gentiles hope in Jesus.
1: Yeah, you did. Um, it was good. It was a really good video.
0: Yeah, I'll put that up on, on the screen. Uh, try to remember to put the link in the comments there, but um, that you go back and check that out if you want, because you know it's talking about the millennial reign. Um, yeah. So it's just a lot of
1: people don't see that, Sean, that there's going to be survivors, you know, mortal people for a thousand years, and <laughs> in that timeline where they're, you know, they're going to experience everything that we just read here.
0: That's right. And so, so just so people aren't confused the word gentile is a word that means you're not in covenant. So it doesn't, you know, it's and also it can it's it's loosely translated in some of the other uh, prophetic books in the old testament about being the nations, but at the same time many of the if you're not of the nation of Israel that means you're of the other nations. So to be of the nation of Israel means you're in covenant with the Father. To be in covenant with the Father means that you are circumcising your heart to his commands, respecting his authority, quote unquote, his name. You're respecting the name of the Lord of Spirits. You're respecting the name of the Lord Yahweh. You're respecting, which is also in the name of the Father and the Son, right? So the Son carries on this authority. So that's the whole point of you are learning His ways, respecting His authority, doing what pleases Him, doing the will of God. And therefore, you are grafted in both in heart and spirit and at the resurrection, physically with a new body. You're grafted into the actual, you know, um, true vine, <laughs> which is the you know the Father's house, and you become part of the spiritual nation of Israel. You're no longer of the other nations; therefore, you're no longer Gentile. So yeah, that's, that's a when it talks about the Gentiles, he shall be a light to the Gentiles. Here in verse four, it's not talking about us. We're already in his, we're already in his nation. We're already in covenant with him. That's it's right. talking about those who don't even know him who are coming to the city who are ignorant of him or who have rejected him, but just didn't die on the day of the Lord. They then will have to hope in him. It's the most merciful story possible. Yeah, Like he literally, you know, and this of course is Isaiah 53. Um, I don't know if you, uh, I'll I'll stop for a minute while I pull this up and and stop ranting, but
1: yeah, no, that's enough. It's a great rant for sure. Um, Verse five here where it says all who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship before him. I know a lot of people that kind of come out of church and they test, um, you know, a lot of the, the man-made doctrines and stuff like that. Trinitarianism being one of them. A lot of them question whether or not we should be worshiping Jesus, right? Should we, we, should we worship Him or not? Like, should it only be attributed to to God? Well, guys, right here in this verse, we're told that all who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship before Him. We know that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Yeshua, our Messiah, is the Lord. He is Yahweh's agent of salvation. So yes we can worship him hundred percent in verse six here. And for this reason, hath he been chosen and hidden before him before the creation of the world and forevermore. So there's this sneaky little concept that Enoch tends to talk about, about Yeshua kind of being hidden away, um, you know, before the foundation of the world was created. And um, in my opinion, he, they use Enoch uses this term for a reason because he is, he's the concealed one as we find out as well in this book, and was hidden away in, in in my opinion, Yahweh's light, unapproachable light. He couldn't, you know, he's in the bosom of the Father, and no one could get into that um, proximity without dying. Even some of the angels, the angels that surround his throne, they can't even get it, they can't get into that close proximity. So he was hidden away, and only revealed in specific times. The first time, in my opinion, it's when he took on flesh, and then it'll be the second time, and that's it.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's why it's such a powerful revealing. <laughs> right. Which is which is why, you know, uh, what was it um the John said, uh, "Are you the one to come?" You know, "Are you the prophet we were to expect?" He didn't say, "Hey, are you back? I know you were here earlier as Mikaelsadek, are you back?" Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like or I know you appear you you were here in other times. Uh, I mean, he didn't No, no, it's he's the first time <laughs> he shows up. That's why it's such a big deal. You know, right. it's not just like a regular oh, he's back this time in the flesh. Like it's and so I know there's a lot of debate about the angels of the Lord and everything, but we actually discussed that in previous episodes. I encourage you to, you know, to kind of catch up to our previous episodes where we we dig in deep and we actually we actually talk about who the angel of the Lord is because he's named in the book of Ezra. Yeah. So there's uh, but anyway, I just I think that uh, real quick. I was going to read this before we move on too far. It's Isaiah forty nine because in forty eight here he calls him a light to the Gentiles, and uh, we actually see Isaiah parrot that here in Isaiah forty nine. He says, "Is it a too small thing that I should that that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my uh, salvation may reach to the end of the earth." And of course, like I just explained earlier, being a light to the nations. Is being a light to the Gentiles. That's the right. that's the whole concept. And so that's why even like in Acts 13, 47, he talks about that for this is what the Lord has commanded us, I've made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And and Luke in the book of Acts 13 is just quoting Isaiah forty nine, six. So that's that's the concept there. Yeah,
1: awesome. Good spot for sure. Yeah. Um Sean verse seven. Uh, a couple sentences downward says, For in his name they are saved, and according to his good pleasure hath it been in regard to their life. So this concept of in his name, I mean we just we just talked about the name being the authority. So in Yeshua's authority, they, those who are going to be resurrected, are saved. And this parallels perfectly with what Paul says in Romans 10 9. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, as well as Acts 4. 412 where it says and there is salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved and that's saying there's no other authority under that's heaven right. right as well as in acts chapter 16 31 they said believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household so it's talking about the authority of yeshua and you will be saved right and being in covenant obviously guys that that's part of this too, but I just wanted yeah. to make a mention to that in this verse seven here in Enoch.
0: Well, let's look at it from this perspective of him returning to the earth. Okay. So we, we understand that the first resurrection happens on the day of the Lord. It actually kickstarts the day of the Lord. It's the beginning moments, sequence of sequence of events. So we're, we're as a you know, that the spirits are birthed from the earth, so to speak, the reaper angels come get us in Matthew 13. And, uh, they were actually being taken to the father like doves, uh, met, metaphorized as a dove flying to its lattices in Isaiah 60, verse 8. And so we have this moment where we're pulled away to be taken to our rooms to hide away from the indignation that is happening with the wrath of the day of the Lord um, that's coming with Yeshua and his angels. This is talked about in Isaiah 26, verse 20, and all through Matthew 25, 31. And so this whole concept here is that He is he's resurrected us to get us out of the way, and now he's going to come down and do some carnage, right? Which He's going to come down and, and actually do the wrath of the Lamb, So everyone on the ground that tries to fight him, they do not respect his authority, quote, unquote, his name. And everyone that survives that big cataclysmic event, they will be saved physically just as we were saved spiritually because we respected his authority. We were raised to eternal life because of that. But for the survivors, they're going to be saved because they respect his authority when he comes and they're not trying to fight him. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So imagine, you know, the most amazing king in the world comes down and he takes care of all the people trying to fight him. What are you going to do? Are you going to step up and be like, um, yeah, I don't like you either. I'm going to fight you. You think he's going to let you live? Like, is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he, so clearly the people that try to fight him at his return, they're the ones that um, we read about in Matthew 13 that are actually gathering the tares so they can be bound up and burned. Right? This is this concept because they're actually trying to reject his kingdom coming down and his authority that would emanate from that kingdom. But if you're just a survivor, you know, you're just some like 15 year old kid whose father went off to go fight this quote unquote alien invasion. And then, uh, and then your father's dead. And now you realize, Oh wait, it wasn't an alien at all. It was the creator. And look at all these amazing things happening. And the whole world is, has been destroyed from this massive earthquake. And Oh, Oh, by the way, I see that we live in a big room now because I can see the ceiling. And I see this uh, massive city that has, is taller than any skyscraper I've ever seen in my life reaching up to the roof of this room. And it's massive. And I'm just going to walk to it like a moth to a light. And I can't help myself because, look, this thing is amazing. And it's called a city of truth. And In fact, there's even a verse in Isaiah where it talks about in those days, people will grab on and say, we heard that you're a Jew. Take us to the city of God. You know. And yeah. so I, I kind of paraphrased a little bit there, guys. But the point is, there's, there's a moment where there's a huge shift. You know how the New Agers talk about a consciousness shift? You know? yeah, yeah. This is the consciousness shift, guys, the moment that his city comes down and people can see it no matter how far away you are on the plane of the earth, and they're going to be like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. The story is real. The creator's real. The city of God is real. I can see it. I can go to it. Oh, my gosh. There's a consciousness shift, and it's going to be one of his authority and to understand who he is along with his loving kindness and his mercy.
1: That's right, man. Amen. And if you're enlisted in an army, whatever country you're in, and you're gathered to, to fight <laughs> the Messiah that is coming, it's going to be worth the court martial to disobey yeah. your orders. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that's do not be deceived, guys. Nothing's going to overcome the Messiah when he returns. Yeah. So
1: all right, Sean, you, before we move on there, verse nine, I just wanna clarify where it says, and I will give them over into the hands of mine elect. That's, we, you know, we talked about this, I believe last episode, where, where you know it's an interchangeable title for those of us who are considered the elect and also his holy angels who That's are the right. elect. And in my opinion, this is referring to the holy angels because as we see after this, it says, as straw in the fire, so shall they burn before the face of the holy. As lead in the water shall they sink before the face of the righteous. So it's, it's just referring to the angels here because they're the ones that are doing the battling and all the killing and the carnage and stuff like that. Or, you know, yeah, we're not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That. That's why I was saying earlier, you know, Isaiah 26, 20, uh, we're actually taken out of the way of the battle and hidden in our rooms prepared for us uh, during the until the indignation is passed. And that's why we're not, we're not battling anybody. You know, the Joel 2 army is his angels. That's right. <laughs> we're not, and so they're the ones that come down and are, like I said, they're they're gathering the tares, the, the evil ones to be burned with fire, and that's what we're getting here, you know so that, that's a Matthew 13th called Matthew 13 Foundational Reference, basically
1: that's
0: right you know
1: yeah, do you want to move on, Sean? And I can do the next chapter or unless you have yeah, something go ahead to Go ahead brother. we're good. Okay, so this is chapter 49For wisdom is poured out like water, and glory faileth not before him forevermore." For he is mighty in all the secrets of righteousness, and unrighteousness shall disappear as a shadow, and have no continuance. Because the elect one standeth before the Lord of Spirits, and his glory is forever and ever, and his might unto all generations. And in him dwells the spirit of wisdom, and the spirit which gives insight, and the spirit of understanding, and of might, and the spirit of those who have fallen asleep in righteousness. And he shall judge the secret things, and none shall be able to utter a lying word before him. For he is the elect one before the Lord of Spirits. According to his good pleasure. So this kind of sounds very Isaiah eleven two ish, you know. Um, saying, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In my opinion that's kind of you know what verse three might be referring to here.
0: Yeah. Um there's also that passage I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, in the book of Luke it is, I think. Um I think, hey, let, me, let me find it real quick. Um, yeah, book of Luke. Chapter 8, verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident or anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. So um, this is just him, you know, like I said, he's judging the secrets of the righteous. That's right. So this is, and and the godless. <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no, no, no secrets. I mean, you know, we're not trying to scare people, but come on now. You're not getting yeah. away with anything. And I'm talking to myself now. You're not getting away with anything.
1: Yeah, it, it, knowing this definitely um, makes you think twice before you want to indulge in whatever sin, you know, may present itself and knock at the door. Because it's <laughs> we can be in the depths of the earth, you know, doing whatever sin we want to do. He sees everything and it's and, it, and it's yeah and all of it gets revealed so yeah it's,
0: just, it's actually um uh ecclesiastes 12 14 also god will judge us uh god will bring every deed into judgment a lot including every secret thing yeah. yeah but then as far as um uh, us him us ourselves i'm pretty sure it's paul talked about this in first corinthians yeah first corinthians 2 um um nope never mind yeah
1: you know what i was gonna, know, gonna
0: say I, I, it's too much context to explain right now so i'll just i'll just <laughs> leave it there yeah i was gonna say sean I know, think... I start quoting paul people get crazy you know things get wild <laughs>
1: <laughs> um i could be wrong here but i think is it jubilees where it talks about how the angels are held accountable in the sense that if they see anyone sinning on earth or something like that and they don't present it that, um, you know, they're held accountable in a way. Do you know what I'm talking about there?
0: I do. I do remember. Do you remember that passage?
1: I don't off the top of my head. It, ju- it just came to me as we were reading this. Um, it's early on in Jubilees. I think it's, maybe yeah, second it's
0: um, I can't remember either, but you're right. It is. They, they are this, what's why we joked about it. I think in the first or second episode of honor of Kings, why they're called watchers.
1: Yeah, I was Um, going to mention like not only does Yahweh see everything, but he has his angelic hosts around him that have jobs that are to watch, and some of them do watch the spirits of men, and you know, yeah, yeah. they're
0: supposed to report it, and if they don't, obviously they're they're you know suppressing unrighteousness or they're suppressing righteousness um, because of you know they're not, they're supposed to say something, and I believe it's actually in the law itself. I just can't remember the actual passage right now. Yeah, they uh,
1: they become complicit. It's like they did it if they didn't. Yeah.
0: You know, it's, it reminds me of in the United States here, I know you're in Canada, right? So you may not have the same, uh, domestic Homeland security policies that we do, but here in the United States, you know, we've got this, uh, we, we joke about the Homeland security slogan that came about after nine 11 with all the, and the shoe bomber on the airplane, all those, all those concepts of, uh, terrorist activity, um, some successful and some thwarted, but this, this phrase came about, you know, if you see something, say something. That's Right. You know, and it's it reminds me of like the original see something, say something policy, you know? <laughs> the angels yeah. were commissioned to go see something, say something, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, for sure.
1: You want to move along, Sean? Yeah.
0: Okay. Do we want to hit up uh, the last chapter?
1: Yep. You go ahead and read it and we can wrap things up.
0: All right. Chapter 50, guys, let's go here in verse one. It says, and in those days, change shall take place for the holy and elect. And the light of day shall abide upon them, and glory and honor shall turn to them. On the day of affliction, on which evil shall have been treasured up against the sinners, and the righteous shall be victorious in the name of the Lord of Spirits. And he will cause the others to witness this, that they may repent and forego the works of their hands. They shall have no honor through the name of the Lord of Spirits, yet through his name shall they be saved. And the Lord of Spirits will have compassion on them, for his compassion is great, and he is righteous also in his judgment and in the presence of his glory unrighteousness also shall not maintain itself at his judgment the unrepentant shall perish before him and from therefore and from henceforth he w- i will have no mercy on them says the lord of spirits
1: so yeah, that's, that's fascinating
0: it's kind of a, a summation of you know his policy so to speak but yeah. what the first couple of verses about the light will appear Um, A a change shall take place for the holy elect and the light of days shall abide upon them. That's us in the resurrection. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Absolutely. And second Baruch chapters 50 to uh, 51 kind of elaborate and expound upon this idea of there being a change and talking about the light of days shall abide on them. And, um, what does it say? just it's you know to the idea that those who who see this going on they're going to be like they're going to withdraw even more and and be in even more anguish because they're going to take witness they're gonna be witnessing the righteous going through this change that they undergo
0: you said that's in chapter 50 maybe
1: yeah i think it's 50 and 51 of second baruch i didn't sorry i didn't have that pulled up um that's okay to re- reference it but i just it just popped in my mind here but
0: yeah, that's um that's something that uh I you know I think it's also in revelation twenty two um, let me find it here I think it's in verse four um, see if I can pull it up real quick but this is the concept of how you know it, um, we're gonna be perfected It's the concept of being resurrected as you are perfected yeah and in, in that you this light of days that can abide upon you um this concept here is that you're you know like Jesus is described his face shining like the sun, right? Yeah. That's so great. if he is a resurrected man, so you remember Elohim status, son of man that we were reading about who before the sun, signs and moon stars are created before anything in creation, he was with the father, right? Which is why all things can be created through him by him for him. Yeah. So he was Elohim status. So he was a spiritual nature entity. He then Philippians two became a man Found in the fashion, form like a man, right? He put on flesh, so to speak. He became incarnate through Mary. He lived his life, but then he was glorified back to Elo- Elohim status at his resurrection, um, to which he can then have the, he can then process, so to speak, this kind of light of days to have it abide upon him because of his righteousness, which is kind of like what we saw at the transfiguration moment. You know what I mean? And that's where um, I think it's fascinating because in verse. Uh, let's look at Revelation 22, uh, verse 3 through 5. It says, And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And this is talking about the new Jerusalem. And his bondservants will serve him. That will be us, the resurrected. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. They will not, not need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of a sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes, so, Sean. The um the reference in Second Baruch chapter fifty. I kind of want to just bring that up real quick, and then for sure, wrap bro, it yeah. up. Just um, we're verse two here of Enoch fifty, where it says, "And he will cause the others to witness this, that they may repent and forego the works of their hands." And I'm, that's you know the the survivors of the nations, in my opinion, that's they're witnessing all this change take place. So in Second Baruch chapter fifty, verse <laughs> starting with verse two. It says, for the earth shall then assuredly restore the dead, which it now receives in order to preserve them. It shall make no change in their form, but as it has received, so shall it restore them. And as I delivered them unto it, so also shall it raise them. And this is verse three, for then it will be necessary to show to the living that the dead have come to life again and that those who had departed have returned again. So, and then that's, you know, that's a sign, right? For those in those days to repent and forego the works of your hands. That's part of what you said earlier about Yahweh's mercy and, and grace, even up to that point.
0: Yeah. And that was chapter 52.
1: Uh, uh, that was sorry. That was second Baruch chapter 50 verses
0: two to three. Okay, cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's to me, it's like the greatest, you know, people talk about how acts chapter two, you know, 3000 people came to the Lord in one day and they're like, Oh, that's one of the, you know, one of the greatest sermons in history, right? And I'm like, no, no, they, the Lord, they, the Lord's going to be the greatest sermon in history yeah. because it's going to be the moment where millions upon millions upon millions repent because they see the Father literally come to Earth with His Son in the Kingdom of God, 1,500 square miles yeah. of a city. Like they're they're going to realize they're in a big room called the Firmament, in closed creation, and they're not going they're going to repent quickly. <laughs> So, and because they're going to open him, you know, they're going to realize it's all true. And that inward little moment in their heart that we all strive for, for truth will actually be evident with their eyes and they're going to see truth and they're going to, they're going to be excited, you know, and like it says in those verses, he's going to have compassion on them.
1: Yeah. In many ways than one. Right. And we talk about that part of the compassion in uh, our road to rescue show the, the last episode there, but. Your viewers, maybe they can jump into into that episode on their own. but
0: Yeah, that's right. We do, we go over Leviathan, Behemoth, and Leviathan, and how they're used on the day of the Lord when he returns. And um, So you guys, if you haven't already been to our, our show, we're doing it on Affiliate uh, Network on the Parable of the Vineyard. We do a show every Wednesday night, Ken and I. It's called um, The uh, Road to Rescue. And I think we're in episode nine this week or whatever, so we've been doing it for a couple months now. But um, yeah, t- last week we did an entire episode on how Leviathan, Behemoth, are used on the day of the Lord as a part of the father's mercy and compassion for the survivors. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Go check it out.
1: Yeah, totally. Right on brother.
0: Yeah. It's a, yeah, this is a power packed episode. Um, there's just so much in here in the book of Enoch just validates things. The Messiah preached from and talked about uh, things. Isaiah preached from and talked about, you know? Um, so I just, I mean, clearly we, we just saw Isaiah, things that are only mentioned in the book as Isaiah, we see only mentioned in the book of Enoch. So who spoke it first?
1: Yeah, that's right. And Samuel you know? Daniel. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, Samuel Daniel,
0: right? So it's, it's almost as if these guys already had an awareness of the book of Enoch. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I, I don't know, I joked about it already, right? But um, yeah, we, Ken and I are coming to a very strong and scripturally founded conclusion that the book of Enoch should have always been in the canon and should not have been removed about, what, 140 years ago? It was removed. And so we were feeling like it was definitely um, the right choice from way back when whomever put it in the canon, they understood these thematic concepts and how they all lined up because it's truly a powerful book that uh, it's hand in hand with the books we have in the modern American canon of 66. So I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to join us on this journey as we dig through it. Um, like we talked about last time, you know, we're doing an open call for a few episodes because we're here in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to stop doing the book of Enoch and take a small break from it. We're going to jump into a different book. Um, and so put in the comments below which book that you would like us to see us dig into. And hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, it's, it's one that we choose, but just let us know what you think. We want to know what people are interested in and looking at. And so we can do the same process with the other apocryphal books and extra biblical books like Jubilees or Jasher. So you're welcome to put those in the comments. Um, otherwise I think that we've wrapped up episode 13 for, uh, for honor of Kings and can you, any, any last concluding remarks?
1: It's been a fun episode, Sean. I uh, always love having this correspondence with you and I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that, this kind, that of kind of just instills in people a desire to, you know, test what the things that we say. Absolutely test the things that we say, guys. Don't, don't don't take our word for it. Like look into the scriptures yourself, look into these books and and try to see if you can come to the conclusions that we have. And um yeah, Sean, it's just I always you know, I always get edified having these discussions with your brother and uh I look forward to things to come.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on and co host with me, man. That means a lot. Um, so guys, thanks for joining us again. This is uh this is the end of the episode. Make sure to like share and subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to the channel. Um, and also go subscribe to hanging on his words. That's Ken's channel. Um, he just put it up, uh, a, a great video recently. So you guys check it out. Um, but ultimately, um, it's still a new channel. So go show him some love hanging on his words is his channel.
1: Yeah, it's a new channel, Sean, but I'm going to be putting out a doozy of a second video with, uh, some, more elaboration on the Leviathan behemoth, um, concept on the day of the Lord. So be oh, looking sweet. for that guys.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, but thanks for joining us guys. And we hope to see you back here next week for episode 14 of honor of Kings. And we appreciate you. Be blessed.